leveraging your network doesn't mean anything if you aren't creating things to let people know what you're doing too. So I will harp back on that. Like just make it LinkedIn if you don't have one or make a Facebook business page if you don't have one or make an Instagram business page if you don't have one or whatever it is so that when you are combing through your network or you're looking through your Facebook connections, you can direct people to a place where they can see what you're doing. Welcome to Hiring School, a weekly podcast about recruiting for non-recruiters. I'm Jackie Koch, and I have over 15 years of experience prospecting talent and building teams for Fortune 500 companies, startups, and small businesses in all different types of industries. I'm the founder and CEO of People Principles, where I help founders scale and lead their teams with programs, courses, and boutique agency services. My goal is to simplify the hiring and team building process so that you, founders, and not so solopreneurs, can implement modern, effective, and efficient hiring strategies that help you build the team that you want to help you scale. If you can't seem to find the right job candidates or simply don't know where to start, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Hiring School podcast, the podcast all about recruiting for non-recruiters. Today, we have a very special guest who I'm so excited to have on the show, Molly. She's not only a hardworking and like hilarious person, but she happens to be a dear friend of mine who became my friend because we worked together. I hired her to build out recruiting and talent acquisition at one of my former companies. And I really wanted to bring you on the show to share with listeners all about things you've learned throughout your career. So one of the places I want to start is asking you your why. What inspired you to try recruiting and get into this type of career? First off, I have to say, I am flattered that I am here. Isn't it weird to think that you were my boss? I know. I never really felt like your boss, but you're my peer. There you go. The word inspires kind of funny because it was an accident. So I fell into recruiting, not on purpose, but I stayed in it and I'm still in it because I absolutely love hearing people's stories. And I like, I kind of like the matchmaking aspect of it. I go back and forth being really annoyed when people compare recruiting to dating, but at the same time, there's just so many similarities that it's really hard not to. Yeah, for sure. Do you also feel like it's kind of a competition? At certain points, yes, but that's the one part I don't like about it. I don't like the competition part of it necessarily, but it is. You want people to like your thing the best. For sure. But it totally is a matchmaking thing. Like, yes, you're looking for certain skills, but there is a level of chemistry that everybody who joins an organization needs to have to actually like their job. Yes. On both sides. So did you go to college for recruiting? Tell me about this. I did not go to college for recruiting. And in fact, I did not go to college. What? Just kidding. I knew that. I did go for a semester while I was trying to figure things out. So give myself a semester of credit. Literally a semester of credits. I was an actor and an improviser and a writer. And that's what I was doing with my or trying to do with my life. Wasn't really making money at it, which is how I fell into recruiting. Okay, that's awesome. How do you feel like improv, writing, comedy has helped you as a recruiter? I'll take them in that order. Improv, I think classes force you to be in the moment. They force you to react to things as they're happening. It's all about like meeting the person you're on stage with where they're at and then 
you know, growing something together, or at least long form improv, which is what I did mostly. And that's a thousand percent when you're trying to connect with someone or have a conversation with someone or trying to learn how a hiring manager thinks or works or a founder thinks or works. You know, you have to kind of meet them where they're at and then build upon something together. The comedy aspect, I think comedy helps disarm people, makes people feel more comfortable and it brings some brevity to situations. Looking, the three biggest life changes you can make in life are like moving a child and a job or something. It's like, it's a stressful situation. Yeah. That's interesting. I think people forget that. Like, especially on the interviewer side or the hiring side, part of your role whether you're an entrepreneur or a recruiter or a founder is like making people feel comfortable because they're nervous, you know, and, and giving them a little bit of grace in that it's super scary decision to make a whole process, all of that. So that's an interesting skill that I guess I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah. Especially I think when you don't have a recruiter and you are the founder or the co-founder or the entrepreneur who's doing the hiring, you have to fill that role. You have to push to make people feel comfortable and, but also let people make their own decisions and not, it's a really delicate balance. And that's, I think a recruiter's job is to help the person feel comfortable and make sure that they have everything they need while still filling the needs of the business, obviously, but they can be a little more focused on that experience for the person. Oh, and writing, wait, and writing, why writing is important. Communication is just super, super important. Clear communication is really important. And to be a good recruiter, you have to have clear open communication. And that means writing things very clearly. It means writing, whether it's a job description or an email to pitch a candidate or whatever it is, you have to be really good and intentional and thoughtful with that. And bad recruiters aren't good at that. (laughs) Like it's a big difference between a good recruiter and a bad recruiter, I think. A lot of the listeners of this podcast are that entrepreneur who's filling in the recruiting role, who's filling in the hiring manager role and the accounting role and, you know, all of the things. And so obviously the communication to the candidate is really great or really important, but let's say, you know, a founder has some people on their team, you know, that may be involved in the recruiting process or interviewing process. What types of communication do you think is super critical for them to give to their team who is involved in the hiring process? I think there's a lot of people who are just expect everybody to know what's going on. Yeah, no. And I think that's a uh, trap that founders and leaders can fall into where they just assume, well, I've hired these people. They know me. They know what I'm thinking. That is not true. They are guessing. (laughs) If you have not explicitly told them, they are 100% guessing what you're thinking and feeling. So I think when it comes to the hiring process specifically, one, the importance of the hire. What's going to happen if we don't make it? What's going to happen if this person doesn't join the team? Setting really clear expectations for what the process will look like. And that is, you're going to do the first interview with them, or I'm going to do the first interview with them, then you're going to do a second interview with them. And then we're going to bring them on site or do a video interview, whatever it is, setting those clear expectations. So people know your team knows what the process is going to be and updating each other. I think, especially in a small team, it's pointless to have like a weekly meeting or something like that, but there does need to be some set, even if it's five minutes on a Friday at 10 a.m. where an email is sent to update everyone on what's happening with this role or who's in the interview process, just to get everything in one place so everybody is on the same page. Because 
anytime more than one person's involved, things can get lost in the chain very easily. For sure. Why do you think that it would matter for a small business to have other people from the team involved in the hiring process? Do you think it's a good idea? I do. I think it's really, really important. Whoever you're bringing in, especially when you're small, is going to affect every single person who is working there. Uh, If it's a team of five, you bring on a team of six, that changes the dynamic of the group. And that's a good thing. Like change is a good thing. We're obviously hiring someone for a reason, but you as a leader and your team need to know who's coming in. And that person needs to know who they're going to work with. It's really important that everyone have all the information they need to make the decision at the end of the day, the candidate and the business. And that involves meeting the people they're going to work with. I also think there's some like a level of buy-in when you as a team member get asked to participate in who you select. There's a level of like buy-in of helping them be successful when they start because you helped make that decision. I don't think it should always be a unanimous yes or no decision on who you hire. You know, you may, there may be times in which you hire somebody that one person who interviewed didn't agree with, but I do think there's a way you can have that conversation around why you're moving forward regardless. And at least they still feel like they were involved. And I just think that helps with the onboarding process so much. So much. There's a level of respect that you're showing to your team if you're involving them in the process. And that's, if you don't show it when you're small and then you grow to a large organization, none of those people that were there in the beginning are going to be with you still. Like, <laughs> So you started your career and spent a long time recruiting for Groupon. We don't need the listeners to know your age. However, I do want them to know like, What was going on in the world? Like, what was the job, the application and hiring process like for candidates back then when Groupon was like this new, amazing tech marketplace? Like, I feel like it was fairly new, right? Back then. So like, just kind of give a picture of what it was like back then in the job market recruiting for them. Yeah, it's really interesting because I started there right after their IPO. They already had a lot of buzz and press. They IPO'd and then it was a roller coaster after that because once you IPO, everything happens, right? And recruiting back then, it's interesting because I, in some ways, it hasn't changed. The thing about a company like that, when you do IPO, you do have this press, you're getting a lot of qualified applicants. Like applicants finding you and wanting to work for you. Yep. For certain parts of the organization. Now, a lot of the parts of the organization I worked on didn't necessarily have that. I was working in some very specific like audit and accounting roles and finance roles and legal roles and just kind of these very niche things. Yeah, so interesting. Why do you think you weren't getting a bunch of applicants for those roles? Like what made those different, do you think? I think it had to do with the fact that, especially we were in Chicago, we were a tech company, but we were in Chicago. And people in Chicago didn't ever know that tech was an option, especially if you're looking for a lawyer who's working at a law firm or they're working at like, there's a lot of large corporations in the Midwest. And so that's a very comfortable place to be. You're not necessarily worried about them going out of business. Although Sears went into business trouble while I was at Groupon and people from Sears were like flocking to Groupon. So like, it's like, it was just a different mind. It was kind of like an older school mindset of like, well, you get in a company and you stay there 20 years and you work your way up and the large companies are where you're going to have your security. Yeah. And I guess those roles traditionally kind of leaned that way then. 
Yeah, way less risk averse than like if you're hiring an engineer or someone doing like branding or marketing. marketing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you guys were getting a lot of applicants for some roles. Yes, for certain roles. I also worked on some specialty sales roles that were really hard to fill while I was there too. And that was all passive sourcing for those roles. Just reaching out to anyone who seemed qualified (laughs) and saying, hey... Did you guys spend a lot of money on posting your jobs in certain places or going to job fairs or anything like that? We did all the normal posting that like job boards where things would automatically post. We would for specialty roles, sometimes find specialty boards or alumni job boards to post on. So those worked really well. But we did have an entire arm of our recruitment that kind of grew out that was doing college fairs or job fairs or kind of getting the word out that way, especially for sales and like support positions. We did spend money on that at times. Now at other times, recruiting is also the first one whose budget gets pulled back always. So it was kind of, it kind of ebbed and flowed depending on the month. For sure. So company was like kind of on a rocket ship. Do you remember what like the job market itself was like back then? Was it the same as now? Was it different? Oh my God, nothing like it is now. I think back then the job market was not as volatile. People were used to jobs working a certain way, having two weeks vacation time and a some sort of retirement plan and very set structure of, you know, if you start at this level, you're going to move to this level. I think all that was just way more expected back then. I think it was just people took longer to make decisions and then like didn't take risks when maybe nowadays they would take a risk. It was just a lot slower and a lot more traditional. Traditional. Yeah. Traditional is the word I keep coming back to. It was just a lot more traditional. Yeah, I get that. So like fast forwarding to obviously take listeners through, you were at Groupon and then like, where did your career bring you and what are some types of companies you've worked for since then? So I never did tech recruiting at Groupon. What's the difference between tech recruiting and non-tech recruiting? So non-tech recruiting is kind of what I was just talking about. It's just a little bit more traditional. You're recruiting for accounting roles. People aren't moving as often in those roles, or at least they weren't moving as often in roles that weren't a software engineering role. Engineering is just this snowball that has, I don't know, there's some metaphor I want to make it. I don't know what it is, but like- It's um, crazy. It's crazy. And it just becomes- It's a snowball rolling down a hill. <laughs> rolling down a hill that's rolling down a hill that's in another snowball that's really rolling downhill. It's like there's always new technologies, there's new ways of doing things, we're inventing new things, inventing the new ways technology works. And so engineering is very competitive, very fast paced. Even back then, an engineer would get 10, 20 emails a week being like, hey, come work for me, come work for me. It's just this very specific, it's a little more salesy, it's way more fast paced, just naturally. What other types of jobs besides software engineers would you consider tech recruiting? Yeah. So now like data science, I put product management and like product design in there because I think they're as competitive. Infrastructure, QA, I think I already said data engineer, data science, like all of that is engineering. So you had never done tech recruiting. Then what happened? So I went to a tech recruiting consulting firm called Bink, which was a totally different experience because I threw myself into tech recruiting, which is so fast paced. It was all passive sourcing. Nobody cares even about the applicants that are applying for 
the jobs, to be honest. When I was consulting with clients, I don't even think we were going through any, I guess sometimes we were going through resumes, but that's not where you're finding people. You're finding people by reaching out to them. And so I worked with a lot of like series B seed round series A companies, which was also very different because I actually, most of them through bank had a lot of resources because they had a lot of funding. They had, they were VC backs that they had millions of dollars being thrown at them. And so they're hiring a consulting firm to do their hiring. And they would spend money on their recruiting to help you. Yeah, exactly. And I, from there went to where we worked together. Yeah, we worked together. And then you've gone to some other startups, tech companies as well. And that's kind of where you've spent I mean, in the last five years, would you say? Or how long have you been in like startup recruiting? I think definitely the last five years. Although I don't do as much of the tech side anymore because I just prefer the non-tech roles over the tech roles. Most of our listeners are probably not recruiting for tech roles. However, would you say that the job market and the recruiting process, even for non-tech roles now, is kind of similar in that you're not getting a lot of applicants for jobs? Or how would you describe what that, that process is like now for any job, really, that you're looking to fill? Yeah, I'd say they're all pretty much the same now, especially like right now. <laughs> it's very fast paced. There is a lot of competition out there. There are a lot of people trying to hire people. There are a lot of people trying to hire people with certain skills. So the people with those skills are, I mean, pick of the litter. They can do whatever they want right now. (laughs) What are those skills that you're noticing? I know I know mine, but I'm curious what you're seeing. Like what roles are the hardest roles to fill right now? Well, I, I think I brought up product management, product design. I think those are really hard to fill right now recruiting and HR people are incredibly hard to fill. We're finally getting our heyday, right? I know. (laughs) It's insane. It's like the pandemic happened and every recruiter lost their job. And now every recruiter is making more money than they've ever made in their life. It's actually, I I really love it. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Those are really high in demand, really hard to fill. I'd say those are probably the biggest ones. Probably major product design. I think marketing. Oh, and marketing, duh, marketing. And digital marketing, growth marketing. It's like I put marketing in the back of my brain and trying to forget about it. (laughs) I know. Social media, all of that is so, so hard. There's a ton of really talented people out there, but there's also a ton of people trying to hire them. Well, and everybody thinks they can do social media because they're on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And just because you have a personal account doesn't mean you can do it for a company, right? Oh God, no. No offense to you social media people. I can't do it. I can't even do my, I mean, I can't do my own. It's just like hiring like an executive assistant or an assistant role. Like I think those, those are the hardest roles to fill because everybody thinks they can do it. And it's a hard job. I would say like, executive assistants run companies. I hired four executive assistants at Groupon, actually. It is such a hard role to fill. It is not what people think it is. It's a backbone of a person and a company. Yeah, like they are the ones building companies, in my opinion. So would love to give my listeners, like you're working at a company that is just on a skyrocket. You're at a tech company, maybe share. Do you want to share where you're at now and, and what where you're working? Yes, I work at a company now called Mothership, where it's logistics tech, freight delivery specifically. And it's a crazy industry to be in, especially from a tech standpoint, because logistics and supply chain, so much innovation, so much is happening, so much is going on. There's so much cool tech, there's so much money to be made, which is what when you're in tech, you have when you're VC back, you get, you know, where there's a lot of money to be made. And that's what people are here for. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So some of the listeners to the show are probably not in that space. 
but give them some tips on how they can find candidates for their open job. If you were talking to a small entrepreneur right now who needed to hire a marketing director for their business, what would you tell them to do? First and foremost, the thing to do is to pull up your LinkedIn profile and look at your own connections. You absolutely have to know who you know, and not just the people you know well, the people that already know what you're doing, the people you've already told about your business, they already know about it. You still need to say, hey, I'm hire- I need a marketing person. Do you know anyone? But really take a look at who you know and who you've met in the past and who that random college friend you haven't talked to in 20 years is now doing for a living. Like go look at your network and, and like physically take the time to do it and see what your network is doing and also see what other companies either that are in the same stage as you, like if another small business or maybe what you're looking for your business to look like in three years, two years, see how they have things structured, see who's doing what at their companies and to get an idea of who you need for the role or who you can reach out to for the role. I think that's first and foremost, the most important thing. And you, you have to ask, like, you just have to put it out there and ask people post it on your LinkedIn scan your network. I don't know if a lot of listeners, but there's definitely some listeners to this podcast who maybe don't even have a LinkedIn profile. I guess start there. <laughs> How important is LinkedIn? And, and what do you think about that? It is a 100% necessary tool. Personal feelings about it aside, you absolutely have to have, a, if you don't have a LinkedIn, you have to have a LinkedIn. If your business doesn't have a LinkedIn page, and you can spend the money to have a corporate LinkedIn account and like do a corporate page, do it. If you're not going to do that, you have to have a website, but you personally need a LinkedIn and it needs to be informative. It needs to let people know who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you're looking for. You can put in your LinkedIn, I'm hiring. You can even add, there's like a little banner you can put on your photo that says like hiring. I mean, you just, you have to market yourself and you have to market the company so that people want to work with you. If they don't know what you're doing, a hundred times harder to get someone on the phone if they've never heard of you and don't know what you're doing. And you can start a LinkedIn page for free for your business. But yeah, I agree. You do need to have a LinkedIn profile because for some reason, a lot of people looking for jobs use LinkedIn to verify that you are who you say you are if you reach out to them. It's an incredible tool for sure. However, if they don't have a LinkedIn profile, that means they don't have like the connections to go scan, but use any social media that you're connected to people or any folks in your network. You know, if you're in a mastermind group or, or anywhere, go there first is what you're saying is like leverage your network. Leverage your network first and... Leveraging your network doesn't mean anything if you aren't creating things to let people know what you're doing too. So I will harp back on that. Like just make it LinkedIn if you don't have one or make a Facebook business page if you don't have one or make an Instagram business page if you don't have one or whatever it is. So that when you are combing through your network or you're looking through your Facebook connections, you can direct people to a place where they can see what you're doing. So that would be one tip. Any other tips in terms of if you're not, let's take it a step further because I don't know that we've directly said this, even though I think we agree on this. The days of posting a job on a Indeed.com or a ZipRecruiter, our favorite, or places where you post jobs, Is it acceptable now to just post a job and comb through the people who apply? And will you find an A-star player that way? You will not. 
looking within your network, seeing who you know, asking around, sending emails to strangers. You got to get real comfortable sending emails to strangers or LinkedIn messages or Facebook messages or whatever to strangers. And not just sending one and then walking away, like follow up with them a few days later, a week later. A lot of them have lists where they're emailing their list about offerings that they're selling for their business. For example, like if you're a coaching company or whatever it is that your, your service product or services, you often have like email campaigns to your potential customers. Would you say the same is true for hiring people these days? Yes. A thousand percent. I spend probably 15 to 20% of my day setting up email campaigns to send to candidates. And so if if you can do that, you're already like light years ahead because you have the follow-up. You are truly trying to make a connection with someone and they're going to see that and they're going to respond. And even if someone says no, keep in touch, connect with them on one of these platforms that you're using. You know, you never know what's going to happen a few months from now. They could change their mind. Anything can happen. So even if people aren't saying yes, it's still important to be making these connections and making authentic, making authentic connections with people. I mean, we could literally have a whole podcast episode about how to find where to source all of those things, which we should do someday. Yes, we should. I would love to hear from your perspective, what are candidates looking for in potential companies? And what can small businesses do? Maybe who only have three to five team members? Like how can they play that game? Because obviously they're not going to probably be able to compete with a Google or a mothership that just closed, you know, funding or whatever, you know, what can smaller companies do to be competitive with those things? First and foremost, this has nothing to do with the work, but it's work-life balance and it's treating people as humans. As a person who's leading company, as a founder, this is your idea. This is your vision. You are super excited about it. And that is fantastic. And you need people who can be excited about it with you, but they're never going to be you. They're, this is never going to be their baby. And so you have to treat them with that respect and that candor and let them have some work-life balance, let them have some flexibility, let them work remotely, let people leave when they need to go to a doctor's appointment. If someone's sick, let them be sick. And I know it's really hard on a small team, but I don't think there should ever be a team where someone is the only one who knows how to do their job. That is like a huge mistake that people make. Everyone needs to know at least how to keep things afloat if someone's not there. So I think first and foremost, you have to treat people like humans and know that this is your baby. This is a part of their life. This is not their whole life. That honestly beats out so many things for people these days. There's a lot of people's perspectives have changed so much on work in the last, especially like three years. We're people and we're humans and we're all going to die someday. And it's like, we don't want to have a good time while we're here. We don't want to be shamed or treated like we're small or less than or put in a box where you're working 14 hours a day, every day. And just that's the expectation. And that's it. For sure. That's the simplest and hardest thing to implement as a founder, right? But it really can be one of the biggest value adds you have, especially as a small team, you have the ability to shape the type of culture and the type of work life balance that you have for your team, for sure. I mean, you can pay. Your benefits can only be what they can be. And being okay, knowing that some people are not going to be able to accept a job because you don't have a certain type of benefits uh, or health or medical or whatever. Like that's just a reality. 
And so not holding on to that and not dwelling within that and just being realistic with your own expectations of who you can add to your team. I'm a parent. I have to take a job with benefits. I have to. I don't have a choice. But I have friends who don't need that necessarily and who can find healthcare elsewhere and still love the work they do and blah, 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 blah. So you do have to adjust your expectations a little bit, I think. I do have a question on that, actually. There's some clients of mine who they offer benefits and they think their benefits plans is like really amazing. And some of them are, and some of them are just are are standard. And, And I don't mean that in any negative way, but I do, I would love to hear from your perspective, like, What's like the baseline of what benefits you're seeing most employers offer? Definitely offering medical vision dental. I think in tech, it's really common for that to be covered 100%, at least for the employee, maybe not for dependents, but it's not always the case. I think anything the employer can do to help cover that is really great because people need to be healthy to work and we want everyone to be healthy. So like they have access to <laughs> things. So yeah, I think definitely standard, you have to offer it and cover at least a good chunk of it. At least 50%. At least 50%. I'd say two weeks vacation is old news. I'd say most people are in like the three to four week vacation or unlimited. And unlimited doesn't mean, well, then my, everyone's just going to be taking off time all the time. They're not. They're adults. People are going to do their jobs. And if they're not doing their jobs, that's a whole different issue. That has nothing to do with. But definitely at least three weeks or four weeks for vacation time. Having a retirement option is also becoming more common. Even if it's just like some kind of IRA contribution, doesn't even have to have a company match. Company match is not standard anymore. It used to be standard. It is not standard anymore. Really? Interesting. Okay. No. Just having it as an option for people to put their own money in. Yep. I think it just shows that, hey, we know you're going to retire someday. You need to plan for that. We want to support you in planning that. And so I think it's just it's just common to have some kind of option for that. That makes it easy. And, and the reason for that is it makes it easy for the employee to participate. Yes, they can do it on their own, right? Like you can open up your own for retirement, but it's harder. You won't. And you don't actually have all of the, I believe, and I'm not a 401k expert, but I believe like that has to be through an employer or it's harder to get or something like that. So just making it easy for people to participate in their own retirement is actually what it is. And then if you can give them a contribution on top of that, that's great. Yeah, I think those are like just the main standard things. Yeah, for sure. And then there's other things that, you know, there's stock options and paid parental leave and other like weird benefits or, or new benefits that you're seeing or people are asking for? Well, there's a lot of work from home stipends now. So getting a home office set up, while it's a perk, it's also really smart as a business person because what you're doing is saying, or as a business leader is saying, I want you to have a comfortable space for you to work in every day. I want you to have a chair that's not going to hurt your back and make it harder for you to do your job. Cause those things do affect you after a while, you know? And so like, it's a smart move to offer some kind of stipend or to provide a chair or a desk. If it's a remote work situation, monitors, that kind of thing. I've seen some internet stipends at a couple of companies I've been at and some that I've been talking to candidates have learned that's becoming more common Parental leave is also huge. There's like gym benefits and stuff, wellness benefits, learning stipends, which I think is great if you can offer that. It's always a perk to be like, hey, you get 
$500 a year, $250 a year, something to take a class or do what, you know, you want to do to expand yourself. Yeah. Those are just some cool ones I've seen. I don't know if there's any like weird one. Oh, freezing eggs. That's one that's really in tech, especially, I don't know how it works, but like writing is part of their like health benefits. It's like, you know, they'll cover either the full cost or like partial cost of freezing eggs. We're coming up on time and I feel like we're going to have to do this again because I have a whole slew of more questions that I think you could really provide a lot of value in answering. Last question I have is, you know, how can they learn from you? Is there any place that they can connect with you if they want to just hear what you're doing and up to in terms of recruiting? Yeah, LinkedIn for sure. So I'm just Molly Anderson. My my maiden name, Will Banks, I think is also on my LinkedIn profile, but definitely connecting there. I try to answer as many messages as I can. I do get a lot of messages because I'm in tech recruiting, but I try to answer as many messages as I have. Like if you listen to the podcast, you're like, I listen to Jackie's podcast. Like tell me that in the message. Amazing. Well, we will definitely have you back on the show. And I'm so grateful that you joined me here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I just have this kindred love for you. We went through a lot and we created a lot of fun stuff. And I'm just so grateful for you being in my life and the stuff that we've been able to grow together doing. So that's just a personal thank you. Anyways, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with my wonderful and savvy and very funny friend, which I don't think we got to lean into quite as much. That's okay. We didn't get to tell them about our improv group at our last company, the Glaminated Pouches. The Glaminated Pouches. Oh my God. We'll have to talk about that again. You can follow the show on Instagram at The Hiring School and please follow us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review. We'll see you guys next week.